Welcome to the Brand Shepherd Podcast. This is a product-focused podcast that will explore the various approaches, best practices, expertise, and experts for products, guided and brought to you by Brand Shepherd. We are a product-focused, cross-category creative agency that develops strategies that come to life through diligent process and design. This podcast is hosted by Brand Shepherd co-owner and creative director, Dan Krask. Now here's today's episode. Welcome back to the Brand Shepherd podcast. As I am recording this, it is uh, in the midst of the lockdowns from the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic. And Brand Shepherd's majority owner and CFO, Andrea, made an astute observation recently. She said, you know what? I have a hunch that during these lockdowns, there's going to be a number of people who actually like getting out of the office, working remote, uh, having a cubicle-less life, maybe having fewer people looking over their shoulders, things like that. And she believes that there will be uh, a lot of new businesses spurred from, from all of this. That A year from now, we may actually see a boom of new businesses started from all of this, sort of like new growth after a forest fire. And so this reminded me that I had recently had a good conversation with uh, a fellow mentor with the Knoxville Entrepreneur Center, KEC, uh, uh, Derek Davis. He's an attorney in the Knoxville area. Uh, we are both Illinois natives who found their way to East Tennessee, and we love it here. And uh, we struck up a conversation, and we got to talking, and I realized that, you know what? Uh, a conversation with Derek would, would make excellent information for the Brand Shepherd podcast listening audience. And so that's what we did. We got on the phone and we struck up a conversation. And so what follows in this episode is an interview with Derek. And I think you're going to find it very useful um, if you are planning on starting a business or if you are planning on getting serious about maybe your sole prop business or building into your business. There's just a lot of, of a very useful information in this conversation and uh, I hope you found it useful, and I hope you'll reach out to Derek if you have any questions. His information is in the show notes, and it's also at the end of this particular episode. So without further ado, we're just going to pick up right in the middle of the conversation that Derek and I had and uh, go from there. Here you go. And I have a feeling, and Andrea brought this up, actually, I should credit her, that folks are experiencing this in a year from now, they're probably going to have a business of their own. And so she said, you know, you'd be pretty smart to put out some kind of content to help some folks along on how to get started. Like what, what sorts of things would, would people need to get started? And I thought about you and thought about our conversation we had uh, here a couple months ago and thought I'd get you on the podcast and, and go over some of that stuff. Yeah, this is perfect. And, you know, thank you so much for bringing me on. This is, uh, I'm, I'm in full agreement with you. I think that right now is a unique time. Um, for better or worse, necessity is the mother of invention, you know, so people mm-hmm. are kind of looking around and saying, what can we do? You know, how are we going to get by? Because like you said, there, you know, certain industries are, uh, you know, pretty person to person and they're, they're hurting right now. And I don't think the loans that the government's trying to roll out are really going to do enough to get to a pad, um, you know, 12 months out. No. And that's, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation of the only option out there right now is, is more debt yep. for business. And that's just not attractive to anyone with a good head on their shoulders. Yep. Uh, the last thing you want to do right now is go into debt to the federal government. So yep. I, I don't, I don't really see the wisdom in that personally, but um, before we get any further, I, I thought it would be wise and I'll uh, 
I'll mention this in, in the show notes and in my intro of the show, but just give us a summary of, of who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, so I'm Derek Davis. Uh, I'm originally from Illinois, grew up in Southern Illinois, born and raised. Got to see a bunch of small businesses and the effect that it really had on the local community when somebody came up with a new idea and put it in motion, um, you know, from the products that they would create and the excitement around it to the people that they would employ and the lives that they could change directly. So um, I got to speak to people um, and actually the inventor of the Cabbage Patch doll was in my network and I come to find out that he just needed somebody, an attorney to represent him because he couldn't really afford to pay these, these fees that were just, um, you know, well out of his budget. So sort of making me think about different ways to approach the practice of law and, uh, you know, approach intellectual property in a way where I could maximize the, the innovative ecosystem in Eastern Tennessee. Um, we've got a lot of the same fields in Southern Illinois as far as having more of a blue collar vibe. Um, you know, people really trying to be a little bit more humble with their projects, but, you know, very proactive with how they want to pursue them. They're very committed. Um, and I just, I've enjoyed being a part of that community and, and jumping in and, and offering my services, um, whether it's a trademark application or, um, you know, screening a copyright uh, image for, for their logo, or they're just giving them general business advice as far as the ways they like to poise themselves against their competition um, so that they can succeed both locally and then, uh, you know, ultimately nationally or even internationally. Um, so we, we try to just come up with different solutions based on whichever problems are, are right in front of me at the time. You know, I should probably mention too that you and I met through the Knoxville Entrepreneurial Center, KEC, which uh, I'm a mentor uh, of, and I believe you're, are you a mentor with, with oh, KEC? It's not actually on the table as of right now, but I believe I'm going to be starting in the fall. Okay. So, uh, like most cities, KEC exists as a kind of like an incubator of sorts, and they, they're just trying to foster the, the startup ecosystem and offer uh, seasoned business professional like myself and Derek to come in and meet with them. But then Derek and I carved out some time to talk one-on-one on our complimentary services and how we could, how we might help each other. It was a good conversation. We learned we were, we were both from Illinois, so uh, that, that was interesting. And uh, I think you're right. Now, uh, East Tennessee has, in, in Illinois, rural Illinois, has a lot in common in terms of the, um, the humbleness, the blue-collar ethic, work ethic, um, but, but really sharp really smart, very sharp, very smart people getting a lot done, uh, especially when it comes to business development, brand development. I've been super impressed by what I've seen here so far. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I think that there's going to be a lot of new businesses starting out. And, uh, like I said, the, the legal advice that I receive personally, and, and I've seen in our clients, uh, as we've worked with them, uh, the legal advice they've received, um, it's just, it comes in handy. I think that uh, any startup, any new businesses, or even the businesses that are using COVID-19 to work on their business uh, for brand extensions, uh, you know, new areas of business to develop, um, part of their core team of advisors, along with a, a brand shepherd, would be um, a, a good, smart attorney to have to run questions by, to help out through guidance uh, if there's any risk mitigation needs to happen. I, I, I see a, a long-term value to having someone like you on the core team. And so I thought we'd go through a couple scenarios, really three, um, talk about starting out, you know, navigating the legalities of getting started. Then we'd talk about a little bit, a little bit about growth, um, whether thing, about those businesses that are working uh, on their brands and on their businesses during this time. So they're not startups, but they're, they're looking at growth. And then 
uh, ending with mitigating risk and trouble. You know, what, what kinds of, uh, what kinds of things are, would we need to talk about when it, as it relates to risk, trouble, as it relates to, um, outside forces and, uh, with regard to intellectual property, um, idea theft, things like that, uh, the, the, the value you bring. So to start all that off, uh, getting started, um, I think you and I talked for a long time about, you know, what do I do if I, if I'm starting a business or starting a brand, do I, what type of business is best, right? I mean, that's, that's gotta be question number one. Talk yeah, a one of the very that. first and foremost questions, uh, and, and the reason we do that, you in theory, you could go out today and you could start selling a product, you could be providing a service, um, and if you never filed anything with the state, you would be a sole proprietor. And the reason we don't do that, the reason we complicate things and get lawyers involved um, is because, well, lawyers like to sue people sometimes too, and if you're a sole proprietor, your business is not necessarily separate from you as an individual. Um, every entity selection choice really comes down to two principles, tax and liability. So. From a liability perspective, um, by going from a sole proprietor to an LLC or setting up a corporation or something like that, you're essentially giving yourself some space from any trouble that might come from the entity. So your entity happens to do something wrong and it, you know, there's no question that you're at fault. If the LLC is the one that's sued, people are going to pull money out of whatever the LLC has, as opposed to you being a sole proprietor and potentially worrying about your house or your yeah. car or something of that sort's going up. Um, you know, so that's the first angle. The, the second angle, um, as I mentioned, was taxation. So as far as how you're taxed, if you, if you were to go as an LLC, it's a little bit of a hybrid scenario where you and under your personal income, you would see that roll through once. And uh, that's in comparison to the corporate structure where you basically have two tiers. The, the corporate uh, structure itself is taxed. And then you as an individual will also be taxed off of your dividends. So, um, you know, different, different questions might push you in one way or the other. Um, if you want to retain control over certain things, or if you're really concerned over getting, um, you know, more funding or, or getting, you know, public actors involved, then maybe you go more towards, uh, you know, a corporation. But if you, especially as an, uh, as a smaller business owner getting started, LLCs are one of the cheapest and easiest vehicles, which is why they've really, um, they've taken over just about everywhere since Delaware has gotten on board. And I believe since they were started in Wyoming, um, mm. you know, several decades ago. Can you think of a scenario where it would make sense to not form at least an LLC. I think the business climate right now is is getting to such a degree where um, the sole proprietorship is is becoming less and less attractive. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's because everyone's becoming more aware of how quickly and easily they can go about, uh, you know, setting up just these very minimal uh, protections. So when, when you file that LLC, you submit a document with the state to go ahead and charter your entity or same thing with the corporation. If you were to go that route, you just give them notice that you're going to start operating within uh, the state's jurisdiction. And that can, that can be done for a, a couple hundred bucks. I mean, as, especially as far as the expenses you're going to face as a newer business owner, um, that's one of the cheaper things that you can do. And you don't honestly ne necessarily need to talk to an attorney. If you know uh, why you're choosing the entity that you are, um, no, those are, those are state documents through here. It's the Tennessee secretary of state's website. Um, you know, very, very accessible. So there, there really aren't too many reasons why you wouldn't. Um, I suppose if it was a little bit more of a transitory situation where you're doing something more along the lines of freelancing and you don't have a very specific service that you're offering or a product that you're selling or something of that sort, um, mm -hmm. you know, maybe you wait to see what, what takes off and develop 
before you actually commit to one entity or the other, because you do have, um, you know, some, some annual fees that you're looking at and things like that to maintain the entity structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but by and large, I would say, especially if you've, if you've got a business plan and you think that you're going to be in operation for 12 months or more, there's really, there are very few reasons why you wouldn't necessarily pursue some sort of entity structure. Cool. So then after that, it would be the naming of your business or your product or your, your brand. Uh, this is something we do and we help out a lot with at Brand Shepherd is we, we help out with naming. And whether that's a product or service or a company itself, we, uh, we thoroughly get into the naming of things. The, the extent that we go is we'll come up with what we call kind of a mind dump of, uh, of different naming conventions, different naming types. We're thinking also about the .coms, the .orgs, the .nets, .io, all mm-hmm. the different ways the, the website is going to be marketed. But we always leave off with, uh, as we supply a list of names to a brand, we say, okay, um, as we get down to the final contenders, you really need to get your, your attorney involved because we're, we're not going to accept the risk of, of uh, you know, this already being taken. And I mean, we'll do a cursory look through, you know, the readily available databases, but we're not going to go as thorough as someone like yourself might get. And so this is where I really think it's helpful to, to get someone like yourself involved in during the naming process to make Correct. sure that, that that is taken care of. So talk a little bit about that. Correct. And, and I like that you identified, um, you know, a little bit of a line perhaps where your services uh, you yeah. know, start and where mine might stop because you really don't want to go to an attorney with a hundred names and have them do, you know, a clearance opinion mm. on every single one. Good you know, point. And that just, as far as the amount of time that you would be paying an attorney to do that, there, there are certainly firms that do it. Um, and if you're a Google or a, an Apple, um, you know, making sure that you've vetted your name as well as you can, then perhaps you've got the resources to do that. But for the most part, um, you know, you want to go ahead and have a little bit of a wiggle room with your name. Um, as we were talking about a little bit earlier, you, you don't want to fall in love with the name only to find out that you can't get it. So once you've got a decent idea of, of what uh, name you want or how you want to brand yourself, perhaps it's through a logo or something like that even, um, you know, then you would come and talk to me and I would tap into those resources you mentioned where I go and I search the databases to make sure that nobody has started using any type of mark, whether it's you know, an individual name or a string of words, a logo, you know, combination thereof, whatever the case is, in a way that's going to cause confusion with how you would be using your mark. And that's, that's ultimately the test that, um, you know, the courts would use. That's the same test that the trademark examiner is going to be using if you were to file for that specific trademark. Um, he's going to ask or she's going to ask, uh, is there anyone out there who's doing something in a way that would create some sort of chaos in the marketplace for this product or for this service. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and, and as soon as something becomes confusing with something else, then those two rights shouldn't coexist because both the consumer is getting hurt and because the individual who put their you know, blood, sweat and tears into that name and the goodwill associated with it, uh, you're kind of depriving their incentive to, to build up their own brand. Mm-hmm. And um, so this is where it makes sense to put that, put in that due diligence at the very beginning so that should that ever come up, you're, you're prepared. To me, it's no different than really putting in a lot of work on the brand identity, like the visual brand identity, mm-hmm. so that uh, you know it's recognizable, it's ownable, people can remember what it looks like, um, they like it, it's part of their lifestyle. But I think underneath that, you have to, you have to also have uh, deep roots to make sure it's protected on, uh, at, a, at a core level for the brand and really show that you, that you care about it, that it really is part of your, your brand's identity at a deeper level. Correct. And it's kind of like you said, it's, it's better to know on the front end where you stand 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially for, for certain clients that come in, they have a certain type of product and people already know them for that type of product. And they've given me a certain name they want me to check. And maybe that name is somewhat descriptive of the product or, um, you know, maybe even the, the, one of the words in the string of, of words uh, is just generic for the product even. That's not always necessarily a bad thing. It doesn't do anything to separate you from other people as far as your own intellectual property and your distinguishable trademark goes. But it does give you an opportunity to say, I've already got a lead here. Everybody knows me as selling, you know, Apple computers or whatever. I don't, I don't have to go above and beyond with a creative name like a, a Verizon. You know, Verizon doesn't instantly communicate that they're providing telecom services. Mm-hmm. Um, it's arbitrary and fanciful in that regard. So. Um, you know, all things neutral, the best trademarks and the strongest trademarks are the ones that are going to be completely unrelated, not suggestive at all of whatever your product or service is. Um, you know, but that's, that's again, you know, maybe where you know that you're already getting the search results from the internet or something of the sort. So you don't want to go about rebranding and changing the name. Um, but it's just always good to make an assessment on the front end of what your options are um, and where your, where your strengths lie and where your weaknesses lie. Hmm. That, that's interesting. Uh, the, there's a big wave right now of, of uh, startups, and it, this is something I encounter a lot, where, where the people I work with want, want to go with literalism. They want the brand name to describe what they do, and we spend a lot of, lot of time and money uh, going back and forth, pushing and pulling on, you know, we should name this something that describes what the brand does. And I'm, I'm usually trying to fight for or encourage to say, hey, you know, just just go for a drive and, or maybe just look through your house and try and list names of brands that describe what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's a pretty short list. It's yeah. a pretty, pretty short list. I mean, I'm looking at, uh, I'm looking at a guitar in my office right now and it's a Yamaha and I've got a lamp here and I've got, you know, an Apple Devi- I've got all kinds of Apple devices and Apple technology. Well, Apple doesn't sell, tell me anything about what they do. You know, yep. it tells me a little bit about their philosophy, maybe, but not that. But but we're starting to get into the intellectual property side of things with, with that kind of discussion. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've got our type of business and now we've vetted the names of the brand or the business and we have to cover IP too, right? Correct. Right. And a little bit of that will overlap. Um, you know, I, I tell people that anytime you are offering a product or a service under a name, uh, it's, it's probably a trademark use. So in theory, mm-hmm. if no one else is using that, that string of words or even, you know, just that name in particular to describe their product, then you could go and you could file a federal trademark application. And if you get that registered, that gives you rights in all U.S. territories to use that mark. And no one can come after you and start using that mark in a confusing way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but if, if if you were to say, you know, when does intellectual property begin? Um, you know, most of the time, people who have started using a certain name within a jurisdiction, like if I were providing a service in, in Knoxville, Tennessee, then the scope of my, uh, you know, services, the range of where I provided them, inherently gives me common law trademark rights in that area. Um, so you're, you're brand shepherd, you're here in Eastern Tennessee, no one can come after you and be brand shepherd in Eastern Tennessee, whether or not you ever got a registered trademark, as long as you continue to use it. Um, now, obviously, uh, it's better to to hope for expansion and to hope that you go, uh, you know, not just state to state, but perhaps country to country. So whenever we file a federal trademark registration or application, sorry, um, that, that basically gives you a chance to enter all 50 states and then even to uh, go into international communities thereafter, um, if you desire. Um, so it really, 
it's kind of a question of when you want to start pursuing that. The laws in the U.S. allow you to do an intent to use application. So um, you know for a fact that you've got this one name that you love. Nobody else is using it, and you want to get it before anybody else starts. You could file that, and you've got six months extendable for a period of up to three years where you can start using that name in commerce. But more often than not, your trademark rights are just based on use of uh, the certain mark in association with the service or the product that you're offering. Um, that's going to stand a little bit in contrast to copyright, which is probably the other one that in this realm is most relevant um, because you've got a lot of artistic uh, creative angles with branding and marketing and anything that is new, um, you know, expressive and then fixed in some sort of tangible media that's going to be protected by copyright. And more often than not, that's music, that's, uh, you know, paintings and things like that, but it could also be strings of code. Um, you know, especially as, as we're in an increasingly electronic world, yeah. more and more computer-based applications are qualifying for copyright protection. And, you know, frankly, they're kind of falling out of patent law protection because the courts have seen so much as um, abstract or intangible concept, um, you know, or something of that sort. Um, mm. But as far as, as far as the legal, legal questions go, the only other one that might pop up could be, uh, you know, a trade secret in, in the field of IP. That's not necessarily relevant in branding and marketing because you're already promoting and, and giving the public the information they're asking for. So that's, mm -hmm. that's not necessarily as implicated. Uh, a question that I get a lot uh, when working with brands and businesses is when to, when to apply the, the TM symbol, the trademark symbol, uh, when to apply the register. I think everyone knows like whether or not they've, they've, they've applied for a registered, a federal registered trademark yeah. application, as you said, I mean, it's a big deal to, to do that. And usually there's an attorney or some, someone is asking us for just a, a black and white version of the logo or the packaging or something that there's certain requirements that have to go into that whole process. Right. Um, however, I, uh, over the course of our business, we have encountered many brands that have gone ahead and designed a logo, designed packaging, designed product or something, named it and slapped that circle R symbol on it when they did not have a registered trademark symbol. Um, and without getting into, without swerving out of my lane, I, I always ask, like, I always ask, you, you do have the registered trademark symbol because I don't want to print 50,000 labels or 50,000 boxes, right? something that doesn't have that on there. And believe me, I've seen it happen where someone's been called out and said, hey, you don't have a registered trademark for that. And we've had to do a reprint. Mm -hmm. People have lost a substantial amount of money doing that. Absolutely. So um, is, it, is it fair to say that if you create something visual or I guess let's, let's just keep it finite in that, in that, in that realm, um, mm -hmm. to go ahead and slap a TM symbol on it? Or what, what, would, your, what would your advice be there? Yeah, so the circle R, I guess, you know, going, going from strongest to uh, weakest in terms of scope of protection and what you're getting yeah. out of it. The circle R, like you mentioned, it, it indicates that someone has a federally registered trademark. It's gone all the way mm -hmm. through the process. An examiner has checked it out and didn't find anything that was, you know, an issue, or at least if they did, he uh, or she and, you know, the attorney on the other side worked it out where it's not going to be confusing anymore. Uh, at least that's the theory of it. Um, as soon as you get that notice of approval or the you know, notice of allowance and then you've got your, your specimen submitted, all of the proof done with USPTO, that's when the circle R will follow and you can use that. Um, you know, ideally, you should use it all the time, um, but you really just have to do it enough to put people on notice that you have a registration in the mark. It doesn't, doesn't have to be on every single version 
of uh, you know the <laughs> brand or, or the word every time it appears to be legit. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's kind of where where one end of the spectrum is. The other end of the spectrum, if you were to put nothing at all after a name, the the fallout is essentially that you've never told anybody that you claim rights in the mark. Now, you've obviously got the argument in today's society where um, everybody knows if you're selling something under a name, that's kind of your your brand. Whether or not you pursue trademark protection is probably um, you know something more that you as a as a business owner should be thinking about, not something that legally they as a competitor should just overlook. Uh, so the common law trademark, the, the TEM that would follow the word, perhaps to find a middle ground here, would put anybody who sees it on notice that you claim rights in whatever that word is, or the logo, um, whatever you're using as your brand and as your trademark, and in a way that they can't do it in the competing area. So earlier I mentioned the, the Knoxville example, or I mentioned that you've been operating in Eastern Tennessee, and that no one can come after you and open up you know, Brand Shepherd within your area of service. Um, that's when a common law TM after the end would basically serve as that bar to tell them, nope, I've been here for however long you came here after me and I've been using this ever since then and even told you. Mm. This. Mm. Um, so it's, it's kind of a question to notice, but um, especially on the, on the circle R side of things, if you can prove that people were not only aware of the fact that you had a mark, but that you did everything you needed to to maintain uh, you know, the presentation in the right way, you notified them after they started using it in a certain way that they were infringing your mark, then all of a sudden your ability to sue them and to collect certain damages out of the lawsuit. Um, you know, sometimes you can even get treble damages if you can prove that their infringement was willful and you know knowing. Mm -hmm. So there's there are reasons that you want to put the mark after or put the circle R after your um, after your mark, but it's more a question um, of of what you're trying to do with it. Sometimes, especially for these big national companies that slap a TM on the end of their mark, to me, that, that's really kind of just a concession that they never got the full scope of rights for some reason. Hmm. Uh, you know, so I kind of see that as, you know, in some ways as an invitation for people to compete. But uh, you know, again, they, they might have you know, so, so long of a history and they might be so embedded in people's minds as the source of these products that they don't care whether it's a TM or Circle R or nothing. Yeah. Xerox and Kleenex come to mind. Right. Know, we we call them they, they they just own that that niche you know yeah now i'm well, sure they own like that you mentioned that because so uh xerox uh you'll, you'll probably remember more clearly than i do there was a uh, a push where you you can't xerox a xerox i think was their slogan you know for a while mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and they actually they they've probably fallen victim to genericide at this point um and genericide is when your your trademark that was once a valid protectable trademark just becomes generic and descriptive of the product uh, <laughs> to the extent where it's that's all you know it as like you know yeah. are kind of that way band-aids are kind of that way yeah um you know thermos uh, there, there's a lot of different products that and that's that's a sign of them not doing their due diligence over the years of protecting their mark um when you let everyone use it as a verb especially when it when it becomes a verb you've you've pretty much you know, lost your trademark rights in those hmm. Hmm. um how google is still a trademark i i don't know but yeah i guess i'll google it later right yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's only been around for, you know, 20 years or somewhere around in there. So the brands we were just talking about, Thermos and Kleenex and Xerox, those, those are been around for about double at least, mm -hmm. uh, perhaps longer. So maybe, maybe Google will eventually fall victim to, to, to that as well. I think yeah. that's a, I think that's a, um, cautionary tale for, for brands that exist right now. Um, that, you know, it's good to, to be become a verb or, or I guess to a certain degree, but 
uh, all the more reason to do your diligence in protecting the brand. Otherwise, you are going to become kind of generic over over the years. Yeah, and that's, I think Google knows that they've uh, you know may, maybe it actually is a benefit to them to become the verb. Nobody's you know really saying they're going to go ask Jeeves anymore. You know, so they yeah. kind of won that battle. Um, you know, but they've also very much so invested in their brand in other ways, like the, the specific color arrangements that they use. You know, they've, mm-hmm. they've developed a full portfolio of branding. They, they didn't hedge their bets in one, which is another side piece of advice, um, you know, that, that some of my clients who sell, you know, varieties of products or, you know, maybe they've got different lines and different, uh, you know, versions of products that they sell. Sometimes it can make sense to go ahead and, you know, sub brand if, if you want to refer to it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, just that way you get more people, more things to latch on to, you know, grab more people's attention, is, is, I suppose, the theory. Hmm. Well, that, that leads right into kind of the, the closing section, the third section, which is about risk. Um, I mean, every business, if you're going to if you're going to start a business and that's the that's the whole idea behind this episode is for, all, for everyone who's working from home and liking it and they like being away from, you know, the office and getting a little taste of being an employer, maybe. Um, if you start a business, if you start a brand, or even if you're extending your existing brand, there's always risk involved. It's implied. Sure. But I'm wondering from your perspective, uh, from your prof- profession, uh, what are some common risks that uh, new and existing business owners will want to be cautious about? Yeah, so actually, I had a, uh, I had a consultation this morning that went twice as long for this very reason. Um, mm. I think entrepreneurs in particular, they, they're excitable, you know, they've got ideas that they're chasing and those that are creative and, and, uh, you know, inventive, they want to be thinking about the next biggest, newest thing, even if they've already got something that's really awesome right there that they thought of last night. Um, you know, I I think that we're all, you know, serially, uh, you know, compulsive perhaps, I guess, to not spend in a negative way because that's what spurred the innovation in the first place. Sure. Um, some of us are distractible and I think that the more we spread ourselves thin without paying attention to, um, you know, one bite at a time, then maybe we don't do ourselves the service. We don't give the idea the attention that it needed to really figure out how big it could have gotten, um, you know, and how much it might have even carried the other ideas. Mm-hmm. So I would say know what you're doing and why you're doing it is, is the, the first most basic piece of advice, um, you know, and especially because I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think that's an answer that's readily available to many people. I like to get people in on the front end and just have a consultation with them, figure out what their problems are and figure out what their thoughts are at the moment um, and kind of just jump in. So, you know, first and foremost, try to figure out what you know and figure out what you don't know. Um, Don't grow too quickly, but also don't, don't be so committed to a certain line of thinking or a certain way of doing things that you become uh, isolated to, to other, other ways of doing it. And especially I kind of indicated this earlier, um, you know, people that, that really fall in love with a name or a certain uh, way that their, their business is perceived or something of, of that sort, more often than not, there's something that can pop up and kind of, um, you know, deflate that, that bubble a little bit. And it's better just to go ahead and, and invest all of your resources in the most protectable elements. So I think you know, maybe we're talking in circles a little bit, but after you've already established where you, you're at with your business and you're considering um, expansion into a new realm, it's kind of the same questions we, we began uh, this podcast with. You go and you figure out how you want to present yourself to your consumer, how you want to be remembered, and then what you need to do to get there. Um, and that's, that's essentially coming back, figuring out whether you want to discuss a certain trademark application or um, you know, if, if it's something that you've got you know, utility out of it, perhaps a patent is going to be better suited for your, your newest product line or something. So um, you know, getting the people 
getting the people involved that know how to point you in the right direction um, is, is really kind of is essential throughout this process. Um, you know, as far as other risks go, as far as watching and making sure that, that you're doing your job, kind of like the genericide angle that we mentioned, um, a lot of IP comes down to your own due diligence. So there are different software programs out there. And, um, you know, certainly for my clients that, that I've represented in, in various applications that have now uh, matriculated into registrations, we go ahead and try to set reminders, um, you know, maybe it's once a quarter or something like that, just to go and check the internet, like just type in your trademark, see what pops up. Um, you know, go out there, figure out if anybody has started doing something in a way that's competing with you. Uh, there's a lot of companies still that, uh, for better or worse, will go and watch the register of, of uh, published applications. And if there's not a website, maybe they just take the word mark and they put .com on the end yeah. and try to extort some sort of, uh, you know, some sort of remedy out of the original legitimate owner. Um, you know, and when things like that get caught early, you can usually squash it out pretty quickly and everyone knows what goes on. Hmm. But it's not it's not fun to let a company build up uh, you know goodwill that it should have never had for yes. five years, ten years, and then try to make that argument. Um, you know, it just it could be could be addressed a lot more easily on the front end. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. We we had that happen with a couple of our clients that wanted to expand their brand and they wanted to go hunt for the dot com only to find out it had been squatted on for five, ten years or something like that. Yep. A buyer wanting you know, an exorbitant amount of cash mm-hmm. just for, for that. Uh, we abandoned it, of course, and we just went with a different, one of the many new uh, extensions that you can get for, for websites, web addresses and URLs. Yeah. Um, that's just a, but you know, the dot com is always the, always the one everyone wants. Um, yeah. So well, and to the extent that, um, you know, sometimes like people have very uh, legitimate reasons for opening up a website. Like the best example are probably uh, fan websites um, where mm. if, if you were really into a certain series or perhaps, you know, even a, a celebrity or something of that sort, and you, you just made a fan site dedicated to that person, and you might've even gotten a jump on them and you know gotten a domain that they wish <laughs> they had, you're still using that for a legitimate purpose, which is probably going to be protected, uh, you know, by the free speech principles under the first amendment. But we've also, uh, we've also got a pretty streamlined process of figuring out the bad actors. And this is yeah. not just in America, this is on a, on an international scale. Hmm. Um, through the World Intellectual Property Organization. So they've got, it's essentially hyperspeed litigation. If you can prove that you've been using a mark and you've got a, a federally registered mark in the States and somebody uses that in the domain and then they just throw .com on the end, that's cyber squatting. And we can get that addressed, you know, pretty quickly and easily hmm. as long as they nice. actually are, you know, bad actors. Um, you know, so there's there's different solutions. And, you know, kind of like I said earlier, it's it's case to case. There, there are so many different ways to protect things. Um, you know, a, a copyright and a trademark and a patent might all apply to the same item and why you do one thing or the other. Uh, it's, it's very circumstantial. So there's, there's uh-huh. always at least, at least, at least some questions to be asked. I suppose. Well, and to your point, this, this does kind of, like you said, talk in circles, but in my mind, it creates the very reason why you want guidance like this. Uh, we call ourselves brand shepherd, um, you know, cause we, we work with brands, but the shepherd part is all about guidance and it's the, the non-tangible stuff that we give. And I think I see a lot of parallels in what you do and what we do for, for brands and businesses. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, coming, having all of this come full circle, uh, creates the value proposition for, for business owners who are just going to be starting out and for business owners 
brand owners who are using this time to expand or maybe even alter. I mean, like I mentioned before, uh, I know a lot of affluent personal trainers right now who had completely one-on-one fitness studios. And they're looking at this and and trying to figure out like, you know, in a post-pandemic economy, uh, do we even have gyms anymore? I mean, think about it. I mean, we're, we're probably a good year out from having a vaccine for this. That's what, at least what the experts say. And, um, until then, I think some kind of social distancing is going to have to be in place. So those business owners are, are working through the things we're talking about of like, well, maybe it's time for version 2.0 of the business. And then suddenly we're online trainers. I, I know one, one trainer in particular who had, who has several employees, several trainers on staff. And uh, when, when he got the stay at home order from his state, he, it was like on a Friday or, or late in the week. And he said by the following Monday, they were an online only studio. They just, they just pulled the trigger. He did what he had to do and they just, they embraced this kind of change. So I think yeah. you're going to see kind of a mix of those types of businesses. And that creates the value proposition for, for what you do to make sure that new idea that you're hopping into is well protected. Cause the last thing you want to do is have someone come along and say, Hey, you're stealing my IP or my name or, or whatever. Uh, right. And kind of snag the, the momentum that you have. So I'm a fan of leaving people wanting more, so we'll end it at this point. But how would how would folks get in touch with you uh, if they wanted to ask you more questions or, or hire you? Yeah, so the best way would be just go ahead and shoot me an email. Um, my email address is dmdavis at qcflaw.com. Um, but they can also feel free to go ahead and give me a phone call as well. Uh, office number is 865-524-1873. Great. I'll put that in the show notes so people don't have to uh, remember it and they can just tap on it and uh, get in touch with you. But thank you so much for being on the podcast. This has been fantastic. Uh, Lots of really good guidance. Thank you for having me. Like you said, you know, I think we are in a very unique window. Um, Yes. uh, Everyone's kind of looking around and trying to make the best of this. So we might as well be part of that. Great. Great. Well, hey, thanks so much. Yep. Thanks again for your time.